Well, good morning, New Hope. Glad that you're here this morning in person. And if you're joining us online, special welcome to you as well. Welcome to New Hope Community Church. So glad that you're here to meet with your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We gather to humble ourselves before him, before what he wants to speak in our lives, in order that we may walk away and be more like him. That is the goal. And as we begin this new year and that we have started this new series, and the whole series is about finding our true selves. Who are we truly in God, defined by him? And if you're new around the house or you haven't been here yet for this series, we couple the first year series with what's called a Daniel fast. And I'm not going to get into that, but it's a 21-day fast. It's a fast from certain foods and drinks, or it might be a fast from uh, social media, from whatever it might be. And you're giving something up so that you can go before God, visit with him, and invite him to work in your life in an area where you really want to see change. You really need an answer from God. And so if you need information about this, there is a 21-day fast booklet that just gives you an overview out by the Welcome Center. Also, if you haven't picked up, every time we do a fast, we have the staff write devotionals around this, the uh, fast. And so there's a 21-day devotional written by staff about their life. And you can pick that up by the Welcome Center as well on the way out. But I invite you to look into it. If you are participating, we are praying encouragement and strength over your fast. And we are praying as well that you hear from God in specific areas that you are praying over. Last week when we started this series, we were looking at trying to look at our false selves versus our true selves. And Jesus invited us to follow him, pick up our cross, and deny ourselves. And in doing that, what he's saying is basically... Put to death our old selves, our false selves, the selves that the world has created us to be, or the world identifies us as, and put on your true self, that which Christ has purposed for your life, how he identifies us as the living God, and who we are in him. And so he gives us this invitation to follow him, to deny ourselves, to really find ourselves. And he says, listen, if you want to save your life, meaning live it as you wish, as the world calls you to, you're going to lose it. Meaning you're not going to be living out your true self. But if you lose your life, deny yourself, follow me, you'll find it. You'll truly understand your purpose, your identity. You'll be secure. You'll have peace for this life. And so Jesus gives us this invitation to sort of this inversion, meaning, hey, if we really want to live, we're going to have to die to ourselves first. And so that's what we looked at last week, this whole idea of denying ourselves so that we can truly find and understand our true self in Christ and not in the world. 
And so today, I want to look at the examined life. You know, how is it we sit and examine our lives and make sure that we're living out of our true selves? How do we examine ourselves? And so here's the big idea. In order to find our true selves, we need to follow the example of Christ and continue to accept our true identity and worth in God alone. Now, I want to bring you back to my childhood. I want to bring you back to my uh, growing up years in elementary school and that, and I Google Earth my neighborhood for you, and here it is. It's Monona Grove, Wisconsin, and it's just a suburb of Madison, Wisconsin, where I was born. And I grew up on 5410 Schluter Road, and it was utopia. I mean, for a kid, it was utopia and that. And so right behind my house, where I have it pinned there, uh, was my elementary school, Maywood Elementary School. Man, I could walk right out the back door down to the elementary school. Right out the back door as well, in the elementary school, they had the city... Uh, toboggan run. It was a three-story toboggan run where you took it up there and it had a chute that went down and all the way down the hill. I mean, it was amazing. They don't do it anymore. Why? Liability, right? I mean, mean, but it was awesome, right? At the end of the chute run all the way down was Maywood Park where the hockey rink would be. And so we would ride our hockey sticks down off of the chute all the way down to the park and we'd have hockey. I mean, it was awesome for a kid, right? I mean, you couldn't have anything better. Down at the end of the street, sort of towards the top of the screen, there was the local pool and the library, right at the end of my road. It was awesome. If I went across my street and down, I would go down this big hill to Winnequa Park, where there was all kinds of ponds that was just great for fishing for little kids, It was awesome. And if we wanted to go swim at the beach, Monona Lake was just a 10-minute bike ride from my house. I mean, this humongo lake, but we could just ride our bikes to the beach. I mean, it was utopia for a kid. And I grew up in a Catholic neighborhood. We were Catholic and all that. And there were at least 5 to 12 kids in every home. I mean, it was amazing, right? I mean, there there was kids strewn all over the place. So we had all kinds of friends. And this was the best part of it, right? In Monona Grove on Schluter Road is this. People knew who I was. People knew who I was, right? They knew my story. You know, I grew up born with Bell's palsy in that. And within that neighborhood, amongst all those people, all the roads I'd go up and down and all that, people knew me. People championed me. People encouraged me. People were behind me. People accepted me. I mean, you could walk in and out of houses, and they're like, hey, come on in. You know all that. My nickname, my my, uh, brothers and sisters nicknamed me Butler, and the nine kids in that, and they made me do everything. So they said, hey, Butler, get that. Hey, Butler, get that. You know, that kind of thing. So, I mean, everywhere I went in the neighborhood, hey, Butler, hey, Butler. And they knew me, right? I mean, it was like utopia. It's awesome. But... Then we moved. 
Then we moved. Fifth grade, we moved from Monona Grove to Milwaukee. And life changed. New house, new neighborhood, didn't know anybody. Nobody knew my story. There was no amenities close by. The only closest amenity was like the high school. And I was in fifth grade, so who cares, right? And nobody knew my story. So I moved from where everybody knew my name, everybody knew my story, where I was accepted, championed, to a place where I got picked on, I had a fight, you know, it's called cricket mouth, whatever. Life changed for me. And so I struggled. I struggled with who to listen to. Who am I now, right? I knew what they said where I came from on Schluter Road, but now who am I on Siesta Lane? And I struggled with my identity. I had to re-examine my life and who I was. I mean, where I came from, this is what they said about me. But now, this is how I am being described. What was my true self? And what was my false self now? I was thrown into this spiral of trying to figure out who am I? You know, my story is very similar to Adam and Eve's story. So Adam and Eve are created and they are experiencing what? Utopia in the garden of Eden. I mean, it's a perfect world. Literally, right? I mean, it's perfect light, perfect darkness. I mean, perfect weather patterns, perfect mountains, perfect streams, perfect lakes, perfect forest, perfect hunting, fishing, perfect food, perfect bodies, perfect physical health. They got perfect teeth. I mean, no braces. I mean, how many of us had braces here? I mean, it's just, I mean, none of that, right? Everything was perfect. Not only that, they had eternal life. There was no death. And believe me, this community would have loved that, right, over these last few weeks. Nothing. They had no relational conflicts. Their relationship with God was perfect. Their relationship with one another was perfect. Matter of fact, in Genesis 2.25, it says that there was no shame, no guilt. Why? Because it was perfect. Nobody did anything wrong. Everybody got along. There was incredible unity. But then they moved. <laughs> then they moved. You see, Adam and Eve accepted the lie from the devil that they could be God themselves and that they could run their own life and that they didn't need God. That God was holding them back. And that they could run their own life in the world as they wished. And they decided to accept the lie. And in accepting the lie, there was this shift. 
And then we see in Genesis 3.23 that the Lord banished them from the garden. They had to move. And in this move, there was now relational conflict between them and God. We see relational conflict between Adam and Eve. We see relational conflict between their offspring, Cain and Abel. And there's turmoil now in their identity and who they are. We see that the environment now is cursed. That now the ground is hard and difficult to work. That there's thistles and thorns. Childbirth is going to be difficult. And we read that death enters into the scene and causes pain right off as Cain kills Abel. And so we see Adam and Eve moved out of Eden. And since there has been this struggle with our false selves and our true self, who defines us? The world or God? Who do we listen to when it comes to trying to find our true selves versus our false self? Does our position, our power, all our possessions define us as the world seems to declare? I mean, we're thrown into this dilemma now of trying to wrestle with what is our true self. And what's interesting is, as I experienced this as a kid, moving from Monona Grove, then to Milwaukee, as Adam and Eve experienced this shift from the Garden of Eden Utopia now to being banned and outside. We read in scripture that Jesus himself experienced what we experienced. You see, Jesus came from heaven. I mean, it doesn't get any better than that, right? It is obviously a perfect environment, a perfect setting. I mean, it's like going on vacation to an exotic place and always saying like, wow, wow, look at that, wow, <laughs> wow, right? It's amazing. I mean, there's no night, there's no tears, no death, there's no sorrow. There's a lot of bling, jewels, stones, gold. There's no relational conflict. There's the tight-knit family of the Father, the Holy Spirit, and the Son. Jesus has this incredible identity as the Son. There's unity, and it's perfect. But then he moves, right? He moves. He comes to earth and is born as a babe in the flesh, and he becomes one of us. 
And we see in Scripture that before he is even able to defend himself, even able to crawl, that Herod the king is trying to kill him, is against him. We see later on as he grows up and he starts his earthly ministry at age 30, that as he goes out in public, the first comment that someone makes about him is this, can anything good come from Nazareth? What, this guy's from Nazareth? Really? (laughs) Can anything good come from Nazareth? Because it was just like this whole punk town, right? I mean, this is how people were defining Jesus. Man, this guy hangs out with gluttons and tax collectors. He's possessed by Beelzebub, the devil. He has evil spirits in him. This guy's unclean. I mean, he touches sick people. He touches lepers. That's against the law. He's a liar. He's out of his mind. What he is doing is unlawful. Matter of fact, they tried to kill him more than once, right out of the gate when he started his ministry. They claimed that he was blaspheming, meaning that he thought he was God. Why? Because he healed people. Or he told people, your sins are forgiven. And only God can do that. He's blaspheming. He thinks he's God. And so they wanted to kill him all the more. And the hard thing for Jesus was people didn't believe in him. They didn't believe in him. Every one of us in this room has experienced someone who has not believed in us, right? And how hurtful and hard that is, that they don't believe in us, what we can do. They didn't believe that Jesus was the Son of God, was the Savior. I mean, even Peter, one of his closest friends, tried to keep him from going to Jerusalem to die on the cross. We see as the jar of perfume was broken and was placed over his feet and his body that some of his disciples said, what a waste to put it on his body. All these negative comments, right? I mean, he's betrayed by Judas for money. Peter, again, when he is getting whipped and spit on and brutalized, the crown of thorns thrust on his head is a stone throw away by the fire, and he denies him three times that he doesn't even know him. He doesn't even know his name. And there's all kinds of people trying to take him out. And so where does Jesus go? Jesus finds himself in the same situation as myself when I was young, as Adam and Eve, and where I think the world is presently. Where do we find our true identity? Where do we find our true self? 
But when we look at the life of Jesus, we see that Jesus never moves off finding his true self in what his heavenly father said of him. He was anchored in what his heavenly father spoke over his life. And if we look at scripture, we see that right away before he is even born, that the angel comes to Mary and says, Mary, you shall call him Jesus, which means Savior, Messiah, because he has been sent to save his people from their sins. And then to Joseph as well, he shall be called Emmanuel, God with us. This is his identity. And this is what Jesus stays with. We see early on when Jesus starts his ministry and he is being baptized by John the Baptist, that the clouds split, that the dove comes down and there's a voice from heaven, God, the Father, saying this, this is my son whom I love, with him I am well pleased. We see this same statement later on, halfway through Jesus' ministry at the mountain of transfiguration when Jesus goes up with three of the disciples. His figure is transformed where his face is like the sun. His body is like pure light. And there was this time of affirmation and preparation as he's heading to Jerusalem towards the cross. And again, the clouds come over and the voice comes up and there's this statement, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. And there's this strong affirmation of who Jesus is. And Jesus stays with what the Father says of him. Even though all these other comments, all these other people from the world are telling him otherwise. You're the devil. You have evil spirits in you. You're blaspheming. You're breaking the law. You're a liar. You're from Nazareth. <laughs> Nazareth. And yet, Jesus maintains his true self in what his heavenly Father says of him. And this is where I want to encourage you and challenge you this morning, is when the world is coming at you and the world is trying to find, define you, they're trying to define you with your false self. And we need to remain in what our Heavenly Father says of us and find our true self and identity and purpose and security and our peace in what he says of us. And why can we do this? Because we read throughout Scripture in how God looks at us as his children. In Genesis 1.27, it starts right away. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. 
I mean, we are created in our Father's image. Why? Because he loves us. He did not create the mountains, the darkness, the light, the fish, the ostrich in his image. He created us in his image. Why? Because we are loved the most. We read how much loved we are. In Romans 5, 8, it says, but God shows his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I mean, while we rejected God, while we disappointed God with our life choices and actions, while we maybe just ignored God, regardless of our thinking and our actions, he sent his son to die for us on the cross so our sins could be forgiven. Why? Because the guy loves us. He loves us. He demonstrated it. We read our identity in 1 Peter 2.9. It says, but you are not like that, your, your old way. He says, for you are a chosen people a royal priest, a holy nation, God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for he called you out of darkness into this wonderful light. I mean, we can live different than the world because we know our true selves and we can go out and shine to the world as light in darkness, bringing encouragement, bringing positive comments, bringing optimism, bringing hope, bringing love. Why? Because our true identity is in what God says of us and who we are in him. We are royal priests. I mean, royalty. I mean, you think of royalty in our world, that we are royalty before our God. We're his chosen possession. He chose us. We're special before him. We're a holy people. I love this picture that even though I fall short or at times I sin and that I'm not this perfect guy, but when God looks at Bill Berg, he looks at me through Jesus, who is perfect and holy. And because he looks at me through Jesus, I appear holy before him. I am acceptable before him. And you are as well. That is the beauty of Jesus coming and dying on the cross for us, being our intermediary, intermediator between God and us. I mean, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to love the day when I take my last breath and I'm standing before God and he's saying, hey, Berg, <laughs> why should I let you into my oven? And at that moment, I really got nothing except Jesus steps between God and myself. And he said, listen, Father, I died for Bill and Bill has humbled himself and accepted me as Savior and Lord. And so his true self, his identity, his position has changed. He's now a royal priest. He's a holy man. 
He is your chosen possession. And so I enter in. Welcome. Because of who I am in Christ. So in order to find our true selves, we need to follow the example of Christ and continue to accept our true identity and worth in God alone. And so who are you listening to when it comes to your true self? Over the break, I read this book, How to Win Friends and Influence People. I had read it years ago, but it's from 1936. And it's sort of a business-oriented book, but really it's a book for life. I encourage you to read it. I read it and then bought one for each of my kids for Christmas and said, read this book. And it's 1936, so a lot of the illustrations and stories from, are from the old days, right, and that but they're so applicable and so intriguing and interesting. But there was a story that I thought was applicable for today. And the story is about Enrico Caruso. It says, many years ago, a boy of 10 was working in a factory in Naples. 10-year-old working in a factory. Times have changed. He longed to be a singer, but his first teacher discouraged him. You can't sing, the teacher said. You haven't any voice at all. It sounds like the wind in the shutters. But his mother, a poor peasant woman, put her arms about him and praised him and told him she knew he could sing. She could already see an improvement. And she went barefoot in order to save money to pay for his music lessons. That peasant's mother, praise and encouragement, changed that boy's life. His name was Enrico Caruso. And he became the greatest and most famous opera singer in all of Italy, Europe, and through the Americas. And so this whole picture of who do we listen to? How is it we examine ourselves? How is it we find who our true selves are versus our false self? In comparison, when I grew up in Monona Grove and then moved to Milwaukee, when Adam and Eve were in the garden and then moved outside of the garden. When Jesus was in heaven, utopia, perfection, and then came down in the flesh as a boy and a man. Where is it we find our true selves? And so we need to examine our lives and look at who we're listening to. And so on your way out, there's a little homework for you. It's just a simple half sheet. But it's a spiritual exercise called the prayer of examine. This is a great prayer exercise at the end of the day to reflect on your day. And were you close to God? 
And there's two questions. The first one, when did you feel farthest from God? A term known as desolation, when you might have missed an invitation from God or acted out of your false self, disconnected from your truest self, what God says of you and who you are. And then the second question, when did you feel closest to God? Consolation, a time feeling where you were walking in your true self, your identity, your purpose. You had security, this peace with God. And what do you notice between these two? And it's this time of self-evaluation to make sure that you are walking in your true self, that God loves you. You are his child. He has chose you. You are royalty. You are holy, even though we mess up. But in Jesus Christ, we are holy. And that is your true self. Walk in it. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you provide. And we thank you that you love us and that you have identified us as your children and that you desire us to walk in that security and not to walk in what the world says of us, but what you say of us. And so we thank you And I pray this favor over each one here today in your holy name.